You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is the Locked On Marlins podcast, your go-to daily podcast for all things Miami Marlins. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a longtime Marlins writer and a prospect writer and analyst. And in today's episode, we are going to talk about the rough Marlins series against the Nationals. And then also, I'm going to put my prospect hat on and talk about the Marlins minor league assignments as we are a day away from the minor league season starting. And I can't express how happy I am and how excited I am for the minor league season, not because it gives me content for my prospects podcast at Locked On MLB Prospects, but also because it is such a fun thing to follow. Whether you're a big minor league fan or not, it is so cool to just see how the players are doing that are going to have an impact on your future. And we haven't been able to see that for a while. It's kind of just been reports from the alternate training site. And honestly, I feel like everybody was doing great at the alternate training site for every team. That seemed to be the report across the board was this guy's making strides at the ATS. This guy's making strides at the ATS. And a lot of the times it was true. But if everybody's making strides at the ATS, then who really is separating themselves? And it's easier to see that on a scale of just playing an actual season. So I am very excited about that. I'm going to go into the Marlins assignments and the notable players in the Marlins system, where they were assigned and what it means for their timeline, if there were any surprises. Nothing too earth shattering with the assignments, but I will talk about some that were up in the air and where the Marlins ultimately decided to go with those assignments, but let's start with the big league level and this Marlins team that really isn't this Marlins team. And by that, I mean, they're absolutely decimated and that's why they got swept. There's no other way to really uh, explain it. And generally, I'm not a big excuse guy, but really there is no more valid excuse than what the Marlins are dealing with injury wise and injuries are plaguing the league. No doubt about it, but the Marlins have had all of their best offensive players, essentially, besides Jesus Aguilar and Miguel Rojas go down and you just really can't win that way, especially when offense isn't your forte. I know that you probably know who is hurt, but sometimes when you just list it out, it kind of puts into perspective how much the Marlins are missing right now. Starling Marte, Brian Anderson, Jazz Chisholm, Jorge Alfaro. Then they were missing Corey Dickerson for a couple ball games. Cooper was playing a little banged up. And then you have the pitchers. Sixto Sanchez is yet to pitch this year. Eliezer Hernandez is hurt and has been on the shelf. This is a team that's just decimated right now, and they are really lucky to even be sniffing 500. They were closer to 500 before dropping quite a few games on this road trip and that sweep at the hands of the Nationals. But this Marlins team is better than it's looking right now because we haven't even gotten to see the team fully healthy for more than a few ball games. And even when they were healthy, the bullpen was still sorting itself out. And guess what? The good news is through all of this, the bullpen has been phenomenal. It's been absolutely great. And that's been the good news is the starting pitching and the bullpen have been good. So you figure if they can continue that once the offense comes back, the Marlins don't need to light up the scoreboard to win ball games. They really don't, especially now that this bullpen is settling in. And once they get their starters back too, this is a good ball club once it's complete and together. The reinforcements are going to start coming slowly, but surely first guy coming back off the IL is Brian Anderson, who will return Tuesday, as Don Mattingly said uh, after yesterday's ball game. That is a huge, huge bonus. And I know Anderson was 
wasn't hitting the ball great, but it seemed like just before the injury, he was due to start breaking out. He was hitting a lot of balls on the nose that were just to the warning track or right at guys, and I feel like he's going to come out just guns a-blazing, and I'm looking forward to him being reinserted into this lineup. Something I wanted to talk about too, and I don't know if there's more going on there. Maybe some of the guys weren't feeling well and they didn't say anything. I don't know. But the lineup that Don Mattingly put out on Sunday, I'm not sure how Don Mattingly feasibly thought that they could win this ball game. I just don't see how you can put together a lineup that went like this. Isan Diaz, John Birdie, Garrett Cooper, Corey Dickerson, Lewis Brinson, Sandy Leone, Jose Devers, and Monte Harrison against Max Scherzer and think you have a shot. Now, even if the Marlins put together the best possible lineup that they could put together on Sunday, it still would have been an uphill battle, but you have Trevor Rogers on the mound, and Rogers made one bad pitch, the Marlins gave up three runs ultimately, and that was it. And you still got to be able to give yourself a shot here. And I think with the way Rodgers has been pitching, you could make a legitimate case that you score three runs off of Scherzer or off of whoever Scherzer ends up going the distance. When you see that lineup, there's almost no doubt that Scherzer was going to go the full distance that ball game. I would have put money on Scherzer throwing a complete game against the fish there. And also a little sidebar, what Scherzer did was amazing. He throws a complete game, then rushes to the hospital to go see his wife who was in labor. So congratulations to the Scherzers. That is someday. And I mean, I'm just imagining that kid when he's eight, nine years old and Scherzer's retired, he's going to say, yeah, I threw a complete game the day you were born. I mean, that, that kid's destined for greatness. I feel like if your dad throws a complete game the day you're born, that kid is going to be a stud in whatever they do. But back to the Marlins, I found it somewhat just confusing or just hard to understand why you wouldn't start Miguel Rojas or Jesus Aguilar or Adam Duvall in a game that you really need to win. I mean, there's no must wins in May, but there are a lot of directional changing types of wins in ball games that can totally alter the momentum. Think about getting swept to finish out the road series against a division rival versus picking up the last game of the series and just really at least having a little bit more of a positive momentum as you got onto the plane and go back to play at home again. There were some highlights from the series. They took two out of three from a pretty decent Brewers team, and you would like to have seen them at least get one in that three-game series, especially with the off day coming up today. It's Monday, and they had an off day. So I know you could probably say in in the Don Mattingly type of thinking, I'm assuming, is, okay, well, we're going to give our guys, you know, our really important guys, Aguilar, who was leading the league at one point in RBI, and Miguel Rojas, we want to give them two days off. And if we give them a day off on Sunday, they get another one on Monday, and they're going to be extra, extra rested. I think that's absolutely stupid if that was the reasoning, and I'm really struggling to try to figure out any other reasoning unless they weren't available to play, but by no indications were they unavailable, and Duvall ended up pinch hitting anyways. Duvall, while he hasn't been swinging a great bat and honestly needs to step it up in his own regard, he would still be a better option than Lewis Brinson and Monte Harrison. Monte Harrison just getting called up and kind of thrown into the mix, and Lewis Brinson, a guy that we know struggles against hard-throwing righties, struggles against righties in general, struggles against kind of everybody. You can make the case for him to start against a lefty like Pat Corbin, but I don't really understand why you would start him against Scherzer, especially both him and Harrison. You could easily, even if you didn't want to start Duvall, I would rather have seen Magnera Sierra, but I would have rather have seen Sierra and Duvall than both Monte Harrison and Lewis Brinson. That one I did not understand very much either, and it just didn't seem like they were trying to win the ballgame Sunday, as crazy as that sounds. I just don't understand how you could rest your two 
probably most consistent hitters right now outside of Corey Dickerson when your lineup is this decimated. And another, I guess, like flip of the coin type of mentality you could probably have, I guess, if you're Don Mattingly is like, we can't afford to have any more injuries. So we're going to be extra precautious and, uh, you know, just take two days off for some of these guys. But to me, doing that against Scherzer is essentially mailing it in. Like, they didn't even think they had a chance to win the ball game, so let's give our guys a day off. That's how it really felt. And I'm not saying that that was actually the mentality, because I doubt that would ever be the mentality of Don Mattingly or this Marlins ball club, but it does come off that way, especially when you have a guy like Rodgers on the bump who, who didn't have his best, best stuff that day. But if you take away the one pitch from Marlins killer Ryan Zimmerman, who before the series, I was like, get ready, he's going to kill him. And of course, he does. It again, and I, I like seeing Ryan Zimmerman continue to rake. I always like seeing veterans continue to hit deeper into their career. We're seeing it with Buster Posey; he's starting to hit again. Evan Longoria is hitting. I want to see those guys continue to hit. I mean, it's it's fun to see the veterans stay consistent and you know stay relevant. But against the Marlins, I'll take Ryan Zimmerman struggling against the Fish a little bit this year. I just don't think it's going to happen because he mashes lefties, and it was just Trevor Rogers missing a spot. One pitch is the difference of three runs. Welcome to the major leagues. And that's how it is, especially nowadays when the ball leaves the yard so much. But let's say that Rodgers doesn't make that mistake and he goes six innings or five innings of shutout ball and the Marlins bullpen takes it across the finish line. Yeah, the Marlins ended up scoring a run late thanks to Isan Diaz having probably his best ball game in a Marlins uniform. A beautiful homer opposite field and also a single to the pole side that got over the shift. And I'll talk about Isan in a minute. But Jesus Aguilar and Miguel Rojas could easily net you two runs. That could be a two-run difference if we're talking about replacing Jose Devers and Lewis Brinson or Monte Harrison with Jesus Aguilar and Miguel Rojas, that is a big, big, big difference. And that could be a one to two run difference. And it's a little bit optimistic and it's hard to be able to project or predict that. But I would say that the Marlins would have a much better chance of winning the ball game if those two guys were playing and it wouldn't have been impossible for them to win it. They ended up making it somewhat close. And that's why I'm a bit frustrated by the Marlins not putting together their best lineup there on that day, especially with an off day on the horizon. Ultimately, it is what it is, but the team will go back home rested and have two of its best going against the D-backs with Sandy Alcantara on the mound the first game of the series, Pablo Lopez on the mound the second game of the series, and then we'll see what they do in game three. It's a scheduled start for Paul Campbell, but Campbell has just been really shaky, and I just feel like he's running out of chances here, and the Marlins may need to go look at other opportunities and other options here. I'm assuming Neidert is going to take the Castano spot because Castano has been optioned, so if Neidert is not replacing Campbell, who do you replace Campbell with? So maybe Paul Campbell gets one more shot, but I'd probably rather see Dan Castano at this point than Paul Campbell. It's kind of a mixed bag here. I know that Paul Campbell and Dan Castano are somewhat comparable, though Castano has had more success in the past. I'd argue Campbell has better stuff, and the Marlins obviously can option Castano to the alternate training site or wherever and not have to worry about it, whereas the second Campbell leaves the roster, he is eligible to be bought back by the Rays for 50 grand, and I'm assuming the Rays would do that in a heartbeat because Campbell still has quality stuff and he's still young and he's controllable, and the Rays actually need pitching help, believe it or not, right now. I'm going to talk about some of the timelines recovery-wise for this Marlins team. As we know, BA will be back on Tuesday, tomorrow, and a few more players are on the mend. And then 
I will get to the Marlins minor league assignments and what they mean for the timelines of this ball club and of these prospects. Quickly before I get to the break too, I wanted to talk about Isan Diaz and he had some really good swings. The opposite field homer, the pole side single. The question I still have with him is the bat speed and we're going to be able to see him do that on occasion, going the other way where he can catch the ball a bit deeper and not get exposed as much with the lack of bat speed. And I loved the swing that he took. It was a fastball outer half. He went with it and drove it the other way. The pull side hit was honestly more telling to me because I want to see him be able to get around some of these baseballs that are on the inner half and turn them around to the pull side. That's where the lack of bat speed will get really exposed. I want to see if that's something that he can continue to improve upon. It's not something that is impossible to improve upon. I'm still skeptical on Isan, but there is no doubt that that was really encouraging to see him have the ball game that he had uh, yesterday, and he played some good defense as well. He's going to hold the fort down for Chisholm, who still needs to have another week probably until he'll be back. He's not eligible to return until Saturday, and that's going to be a long week now without Jazz. It's a good thing that the Marlins have a day off today because that's one less ball game without Jazz Chisholm. He really is that much of a needle mover for this team right now in a lot of different ways, but it is at least five more games where we're going to get to see Isan Diaz audition a little bit, and I feel like we've said this before, but after yesterday's ball game, he's earned himself a few more starts, and let's see what he can do. At the very least, he can show that he can swing it a little bit, and maybe the Marlins ultimately try to find a trade partner for him if they don't want to hold on. The issue for him is that once Jazz Chisholm returns, he doesn't really have as much value as John Birdie as a bench piece just because he's not nearly as consistent of a hitter. He doesn't bring the speed that Birdie brings, and he can't really play all over like John Birdie can. So are you going to use another roster spot on an infielder that's kind of inconsistent at the plate? Or are you going to use that for an extra outfielder that's speedy or a bullpen arm? I just don't know if there's a spot for him once the reinforcements start to come back. But in the meantime, even when Jazz comes back, there may, there may still be a spot for Isan Diaz. I'm going to talk about those minor league assignments and some of the timelines on the returns. Quickly, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing and you can track it all on BetOnline. Get the latest news, odds, and info for your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, or even UFC and MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news. Sign up for bonuses and content information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get in on the action. Head over to BetOnline and use the promo code LOCKEDON. That's one word, LOCKEDON, for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So as we look ahead to the reinforcements returning, there's no doubt that Brian Anderson is a huge boost to the team, even if he isn't hitting at his full potential. He is such a good defensive third baseman, and he's a power potential bat in the lineup that does not have a ton of guys with much power impact right now, or at least that hit enough to tap into their power. And at the end of the day, Brian Anderson is a pretty established hitter in this game, having an OPS over 800 the last two seasons. This is a guy that's going to work it out. He goes through it. He has his roller coasters up and down, and I'm pretty sure he's going to be just fine as the next couple months go by and will be right in that 260 range, hitting for some power and playing great defense and driving in runs. 
That's what Brian Anderson does. We're going to see Jazz Chisholm return on Saturday, I presume. He even tweeted something along the lines of, when is it going to be 10 days already? Which makes me assume that he's already feeling good and he's just waiting for that IL stint to be up, to be ready to play. It's not dependent on how he's feeling. It was more of a precautionary IL move for the Marlins because of the fact that they didn't want him to re-aggravate it. He plays so aggressively. His speed is so important in his game that you don't want to rush that guy back. I like that move by the Marlins, but it does really hurt right now to not have their arguably most dynamic player. I don't even think it's arguable. He's leading the team in stolen bases up there with Aguilar for the lead in home runs and just doing so many little things for this team. It's been such a great story to follow because he has been a huge, huge boost to this Marlins ball club, which again, when healthy, is a good team. We talk about what they did last year, and now this season, they're the same ball club with more experience. The younger guys, just better players now. When we look at Trevor Rogers, he's a much better version of himself from last year, which was his first opportunity to get his feet wet. Now, he looks like a potential number two starter, maybe even an ace if he continues to do what he's doing. That is a huge boost. Jazz Chisholm is filling in now at second base, where you didn't have a ton of production from that spot last year at all. It was John Birdie. It was kind of a revolving door. Son Diaz in and out. And then Jazz getting his feet wet last year. And now he's a much different player than he was last season. And right now he's playing at an all-star level. Whether he'll maintain that or not remains to be seen. But if he's even close to that or in between where he was last year and what he's doing right now, that's a huge boost. So that is all really good stuff. Marte wasn't on this ball club until later in the season last year when he's healthy. He is a huge jump to this team. They add Adam Duvall, who hasn't been great yet, but that's still better than not having Adam Duvall, at least I would think so. Defensively, he's been making big contributions. He hasn't been hitting worth anything, and he's still a half-war guy so far this year, which I think is a surprise because he has just been so bad at the plate besides when he's in Atlanta. And then you have a better bullpen than last year that is more steady and not a revolving door of guys. This is a better team than last season. It really is, and we just haven't had a chance to see that because they're so banged up. So we'll probably see Jazz back Saturday. It's still kind of up in the air on Marte. He apparently is still feeling some discomfort as of a few days ago, and I'm assuming it's still going to be a couple more weeks. It definitely hurts to not have Marte. As you start to get some of the other guys back, though, you can handle the loss of Marte a bit better, but if there's one player that hurts the most to lose, I think it's Marte because there's really nobody that can replace him in center field right now. Though I would argue that Duvall was playing good center field. If he could just hit half decent, that would be a huge bonus and help them just tread water until Marte gets back. Alfaro, he should be somewhat closer to returning. I think he'll return by midweek to the end of the week. He was put on the IL, I believe, on the 23rd, so his 10-day IL stint should be up soon. It's just more of a question of how he's feeling, and the Marlins could use him back too, but they may be very precautious with him because of the fact that he's been re-aggravating an injury there. Wallach has been swinging a pretty good bat in the last couple ball games, though I don't think you can count on that if you're the Marlins. It'll be interesting when Alfaro returns, whether the Marlins decide to send down or send to the alternate training site Wallach or Leone. My guess would be Sandy Leone gets sent there, especially with how Wallach has been hitting recently and with his experience with the staff, though, I would probably make the case that I would rather have Sandy Leone with the way he is looking behind the dish and some of the inconsistencies we've seen from Wallach behind the dish, which is supposed to be his biggest strength. Let's move on to the minor league assignment 
Simonson. Nothing too earth-shattering. There were some players that were up in the air, especially with the outfielders, and I'll go over some of those. And also, the aggressiveness around Max Meyer, which isn't shocking at all, but is really good to see, as they decide to put him in double-A. But not only is he in double-A Pensacola, he is their opening day starter. The reason why this doesn't surprise me is, as I talked about in the past, a, a few weeks ago, the reports were that Max Meyer's changeup had really come along strong and was looking like an above average to potentially plus pitch. And that was the big, or not even big question, but that was the variable to see how far along he was. The command was always going to be there. He has good mechanics. The fastball and slider were arguably the best uh, two-pitch combo in the entire draft. So it was just, does he have that third pitch? Would that get him ready to be a double-A pitcher right out of the gate? And he had the third pitch, and the Marlins deemed him ready to be a double-A pitcher right out of the gate. He's going to be good. He's going to be really, really good, and there's no doubting that. But I think this promotion, or actually just not even a promotion, he's starting a double-A, is a sign that he could be on a fast track to the big leagues at some point this year. That's not crazy to say whatsoever. He's bullpen ready right now at the MLB level, and that sounds crazy also, but look at Garrett Crochet. Garrett Crochet's really doing great out of the bullpen for the White Sox, and he hasn't pitched a single minor league ball game. Max Meyer has a two-pitch mix that is electric with the fastball and slider, whereas Crochet, he does have a good slider, but he's been just leaning on the fastball and just chucking it out of the bullpen, and that's what has been working for him. So if you look at a guy like Meyer, who has a fastball that can hit triple digits, not quite as electric as Garrett Crochet's, but the slider is better than Garrett Crochet's, and he has a third pitch. The Marlins technically could use Meyer out of the bullpen at the end of the year um, as a little bit of a boost if they're trying to compete for the wild card, but I think that there's a chance that Max Meyer could crack the rotation, especially if the Marlins have some injuries by the end of the season. It just depends how aggressive the Marlins want to be, but that double-A assignment shows me that the Marlins are thinking about it, and that is a really cool thing to see, and I think he'll be on a fast track, whether it's by the the end of this year or next year, which is very, very exciting. JJ Bleday getting the start in double A. That's also a similar sign for the outfielder from Vanderbilt. Another top pick for the Marlins and a guy that has just come on even stronger, especially after the great spring training he's had. He looks super polished. The team is so excited about him and the fans are too. You should be. That being said, I've had a lot of people tweeting at me like, okay, this outfield is so decimated. Why not call Bleday up right now? Let's slow down a little bit on that just because you don't want to just set him up for failure. He's on a really good fast track already right now. Let's not force him into a situation here where he's going to stunt his growth because I know some people debate about whether rushing a player stunts their growth or not. But from what Bode has shown so far, let's not disrupt what seems like a very smooth track to the big leagues and could happen pretty soon. He could be up by the end of the year as well. Without a doubt, we'll have a very, very good shot for the opening day roster next year. If he's raking in double A though, I would expect to call up by the end of the season or maybe even sooner than that. But let's see this guy do it in double A a little bit more. Spring training is a small sample size. And while it was incredibly encouraging to see what he was doing in spring training, that doesn't mean that he's just instantly big league ready. While he was doing it against some tough big league arms, I want to see him just have some more consistency at the plate. Not that he hasn't had consistency, but like, let's see it demonstrated. We haven't really seen him do much in the minor leagues because of no season last year, 
because the Marlins were aggressive with him in high A, and I thought he held his own, but we haven't really seen Bleday be Bleday. And while the White Sox did it with Andrew Vaughn, I just don't know if that's the exact right thing to do. Vaughn was going through some struggles early on. Now he's hitting a bit better, but the guy hasn't hit a home run yet. And Vaughn and Bleday are both this unique combination of power and a high-end hit tool. And it seems like Vaughn is more focused on just trying to make contact. He's a little bit overmatched at times. And now he's really been able to drive the ball a bit more and make contact, but he's not hitting for power. And I just don't want to see Blade get to the point there where he's overmatched in the big leagues a little bit and just so focused on trying to make contact that he's sacrificing some of the power that he's able to possess and able to offer, which is 30-plus home run power with a high batting average. That's perennial all-star type of stuff, and I'd rather see Blade ease his way into that and not compromise the pop that he has for a contact-oriented approach, which is what we're seeing from Andrew Vaughn in the aggressive White Sox, which can help you or it can hurt you. I think Vaughn will be fine, but he's going through a little bit of the power struggle for that exact reason. Peyton Burdick getting the start in double A2 was not earth shattering, but I would have been equally as unsurprised if he started in high A because he really hasn't had that many at-bats under his belt. Both him and Griffin Conine dominated A ball. They're both around the same age, so you can make the case for both of those guys probably needing to be on a faster track to the big leagues, but you know, I think the Marlins are looking at Peyton Burdick as this guy that could be a top 100 guy. I think everybody is looking at him as that potential type of player, and not to say that Griffin Conine can't be because he he boasts some of the best power in all of the minor leagues, actually puts up the same exit velo numbers as Jordan Alvarez, but Conine comes with some swing and miss concerns. We need to see if Burdick is going to have some swing and miss concerns translate into his game at double A, but I think with what Burdick has shown in the alternate training site, it seemed like he had a leg up, and that's exactly why the Marlins wanted to kind of give him the opportunity in double A, and it makes sense. Once he got that invite to spring training, it somewhat made it a bit more expected that he would start in double A, and we'd see Conine start in high A, but I would assume that Conine would be the first guy promoted from the high A squad if he starts to hit well, because when you look at the rest of the squad, there's some really good players throughout there, but guys that are somewhat expected to have started in high A. You could have made the case for Conine to start in double A, especially with the positive reports from the Instructional League. But when we look at some of the other players that are starting some notable names that were recently drafted, Zach McCambly in high A, I think he's going to do great. Same with Kyle Nicholas, and I will talk about those two guys in just a moment. Quickly a reminder that this episode is also brought to you by Built Bar. 18 delicious flavors, six newer flavors, including caramel brownie, cookies and cream, lemon almond cheesecake. You can't go wrong with any any of these delicious flavors. And best of all, they are 100% covered in chocolate, soft and easy to chew, and great for a keto diet. Built Bar is great for the health-conscious guy or girl, whether you're looking to lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. They are low in calories, low in sugar, high in protein, and high in fiber. There is no better protein bar out there on the market, all under 200 calories, all high in protein, around 15 to 20 grams of protein, and just the perfect snack on the go. Best of all, if you go to BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code LOCKED15, that's LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. That's LOCKED15 for 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. But back to the minor leagues and specifically with Kyle Nicholas and Zach McCambly, I like the assignment. Both of those guys have unreal stuff. It's more about the command for Nicholas, who has an electric fastball in the upper 90s and a nasty breaking ball that was one of the best in the draft in my opinion. I got to see a lot of both McCambly and Nicholas in the Cape Cod League and both 
were extremely special. They pitched for the Katuit Kettleers, for those who may be newer to the podcast, in the Cape Cod League, and I called play-by-play for that ball club, and both awesome guys. I've interviewed both of them on the podcast. You can check out some older interviews in the past with them from the COVID layoff time a few months back, but McCambly talked about in that interview his quarantine changeup, as he likes to call it, because he would just go to the backyard and just throw the changeup over and over again, and he feels like he's gotten a really good feel for it. And Nicholas has looked really good from what I've heard. So I'm really excited to see both of those arms, but I don't know how quickly they would be moved up to double A. I assume that even if they're throwing really well, they'll pitch for a majority of the season in high A, which is just fine. They've got plenty of time. McCambly, also one of the best breaking balls in the Marlins system, if not the best curveball. It's really, really good. I'm looking forward to seeing Will Banfield at the high A level as well. Cameron Meisner also starting off in high A. That's going to be a fun outfield. Also, Thomas Jones out there, who I've heard has looked quite good. And of course, can't forget Connor Scott. So Thomas Jones probably going to be the odd man out in that outfield. However, there is a DH spot in all of the minor league affiliates. So the Marlins will probably be shuffling around the, whoever starts in the DH. I'm sure Griffin Conine will get plenty of starts in the DH spot. I'm sure Meisner will get some starts in the DH spot. Thomas Jones probably as well. It'll be a revolving door, I'm assuming, of guys getting starts in the DH spot versus the other three outfielders. But Thomas Jones, I'm assuming, based on just the prospect status and the potential of Meisner, Scott, and Conine, Jones will probably be that fourth outfielder, quote unquote, but he's going to get a lot of at-bats. And I actually do like Thomas Jones. He's an athletic outfielder with a bit of potential. We just got to see him put it together a little bit more at the plate. Nick Reddy, an older guy that I think is interesting and worth watching. He absolutely raked an A-ball two years ago, and we'll see how he's progressed along so far. And by the way, for a more in-depth breakdown on each of the minor league assignments, you can go check out Fish on the Farm podcast. Daniel and Alex do a really good job over there. And all also, fishstripes.com. My man Eli Sussman has a really good just roster resource type of article that you can look at that makes it really simple to follow along and see where all of the notable players are assigned. Both of those guys do a really good job. So going through some of the other notable assignments, I thought with Loe, it was great to see. We're going to get our first look at Victor Mesa Jr. in a regular spring training setting. That's really exciting because I've heard nothing but really, really good things about him. And he has just progressed a ton. He was working out with a ton of big names throughout the offseason, whether it was Miguel Rojas or Miguel Cabrera. He was working out with plenty of notable players. I'm excited to see Dioel Burgos, who's also on that low A Jupiter Hammerhead squad, Osiris Johnson. A lot of names that are going to be worth keeping up with. Nas Nunez as well, and also J.D. Orr and Sean Reynolds, two-way player now. We'll see how he looks on the mound. Also, Dax Fulton on that team. M.D. Johnson, who is one of my more underrated pitching prospects in the system. Yori Perez, who is one of the more physically gifted pitching prospects you're going to see. I mean, by the time he gets to the big leagues, he could be the tallest pitcher in big league history. I think he's 6'9", 6'10", easy velo and starting to show some better command. He's going to be very fascinating to watch. And recent draft pick Chris Mockma, someone the Marlins are high on and seems like a very high floor candidate to be a back end of the rotation type of player, could pitch his way out of low A pretty quickly. A very fun group over there in low A as well. This is a really fun system. 
all the way through. And even at AAA, there's some high-end talent, where at AAA, sometimes it gets a little bit more boring because it's either journeymen or failed prospects or struggling prospects. And while that is the case a little bit, there are still some high-ceiling guys that could show some exciting things. We got Lewin Diaz in AAA Jacksonville. We've got Joe Dunant in AAA Jacksonville. By the way, he's doing an interview with the Fish Stripes podcast soon. That's going to be fun to listen to. I'm sure he's going to talk about how he's had this rapid uh, just progression and where the success has come from. We also will have Brian Miller out there who's more on the struggling, you know, not really totally putting it together prospect side. But then Jesus Sanchez, more of the high ceiling type of dude that is still trying to figure it out. But I wouldn't say failed prospect, not even close to that yet, but he needs to figure it out. So that's going to be a team worth watching. And then some of the veteran guys like Eddie Alvarez over there as well. Bryson Brigman, another solid infield prospect that could provide the Marlins some infield depth if he starts to hit the ball a little bit more. As for the arms, Alexander Guillen, the guy that I was floating as a potential option for the Marlins out of the bullpen, he got roughed up in spring training, but still electric stuff and is interesting. Cody Poteet is somebody that has been overlooked a little bit, not a bad uh, depth arm as well. Jake Fishman and Zach Thompson, a couple relief options that could be called on at some point this season. Same with Brett Eibner, but then of course Braxton Garrett trying to make strides in his AAA stint and progress his way into potentially a Marlins rotation opportunity. There are so many fun things to watch throughout this entire minor league system. Also, Tristan Pompey getting the uh, nod in AA. I assume he's going to be riding the pine a little bit, but we'll see if the Marlins can get a little bit of production out of him. He was somebody that was looked at as a potential day one guy back ahead of the draft in his junior season, had a rough junior year, and the Marlins snagged him in the third round. We'll see if he ends up being anything for this team, but he's been largely a disappointment so far in his professional career, but still plenty of time to figure it out. Another name I wanted to highlight is a don't forget about this guy type of dude, and it is Nick Fortes, who is starting in double A, and he didn't put up very good offensive numbers. There's no way around that, but he was in high A in 2019, and as a catcher that didn't have too much of a track record offensively and had to hit in that graveyard, I just don't think that's worth counting him out just yet. The strikeout rate was pretty low. He was walking a decent amount. I think if Fortes even hits half decent and the defense has come along, this could be a catching option for the team in the meantime, and he's not that far from big league ready if he starts hitting pretty decently. Don't sleep on Fortes as being a potential option for this ball club either, which just so desperately needs some catching help that projects for the future as well. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you to those who take the time to leave ratings to help me immensely. I hope you're staying busy on this Marlins off day. And if you spent your Marlins off day listening to this, which I really appreciate, thank you very much. And I look forward to talking Marlins baseball with you tomorrow.